I'm Carol Speakerman, and this is Speakerman Speaks Retail, presented by MarketScale. Hey, everyone, it's Carol, and welcome to Episode 22 of Speakerman Speaks Retail. I help all kinds of companies land big B2B programs and cut through all the retail noise through my latest retail trajectories. These are themes that I'm constantly creating, connecting, and mapping across all kinds of categories, borders, business models, and touch points. In every episode, we talk about how you can harness these trajectories to grow your business no matter where you play in retail. Today's going to be a trajectory tracker day. We're going to blast through some of the hottest retail stories and talk about how they're connected to my top trajectories. We're going to connect all these seemingly rando things that are happening in retail and roll them up to bigger conclusions and calls to action. By tracking my trajectories and how they're evolving and how they're connected, you basically get a heat map of retail happenings. So let's take on three trajectories that are heating up right now and talk about how they're connected and what you can do about it. I've been cautioning against marketplace mayhem for a couple of years, and it's upon us. We talked about it in the very first episode of Speakerman Speaks Retail, because as predicted, retailers are launching online marketplaces in record numbers. And those that already have marketplaces are more determined than ever to pile on those third-party sellers. Now, Walmart definitely falls in that latter category. They're an established marketplace player, and a couple of weeks ago, they announced a partnership with Big Commerce. This is a platform that helps all kinds of brands basically clean up their digital acts. They help brands present a compelling e-commerce, social media, and social selling story. Now, all those fresh, clean, bug-free brands are going to have access to Walmart.com's millions of customers through this partnership with Big Commerce. Walmart is going to get a fresh infusion of fully vetted brands that can walk all kinds of new customers into Walmart's physical, digital product and service platform. Big Commerce is going to gain new relevance with brands by being a gateway and a fast track to Walmart land. Walmart's eliminating commissions through the end of this month to get the ball rolling fast. And Big Commerce, since they get their commissions when something gets sold, is making a big bet on volume. But no doubt, many of Big Commerce brand partners are going to want to tap into Walmart's fulfillment services also. And that's going to ensure that Walmart's marketplace ecosystem continues to grow and thrive. In the category of marketplace newbies, just last week, Canadian retailer Hudson's Bay became the latest retailer to announce an online marketplace launch. They're going to open their online marketplace to third-party sellers at the end of this month. Marketplaces were such an irresistible model before the pandemic hit, and they've only become more so in the wake of it. Because through these third-party sellers, retailers can basically collect rent on the e-commerce platforms that they've poured so many resources into. It's a powerful way to get a return on that investment. Hudson's Bay CEO put it this way, This was the most logical way to really expand our digital-first strategy at a supercharged rate. But marketplaces are also a powerful hedge against category killing. Now that's a model that used to be a major differentiator, but now it's gotten really dicey. Category killers used to shudder when Walmart took a fancy to a new category. And even though that's still the case, Amazon's put that on steroids. Anytime Amazon goes after a category, it has the potential to shut down retailers that specialize in that category. Marketplaces to the rescue. They provide instant diversification. That's why category killers like office supply retailers and even grocers like Kroger are majorly focused on expanding their marketplaces right now. It's a hedge against that category-killing stigma. 
Now, as shoppers continue to rush to e-commerce in droves, and as stores are shutting down, marketplaces are also a way to capture demand and make up for some of those lost sales that retailers are experiencing in brick and mortar. As I told Forbes just a couple of days ago, and going back to Walmart's deal with Big Commerce, this particular partnership could open the floodgates because brands that sell discretionary categories like apparel, accessories, and jewelry have taken a major hit during the pandemic. Walmart, through the partnership, could act as an accelerator for these brands and categories, particularly since brands are not as reluctant to do business with Walmart online because the demographics tend to be a little more desirable than their traditional store shoppers for some of these better brands. So I think that brands that otherwise might be hesitant to affiliate with Walmart are going to start taking the plunge. As the marketplace mayhem heats up, retailers are going to fall into two categories. Those that are taking an open-ended scale-building approach, like Walmart and Amazon, and those that are taking a more selective approach, like Best Buy and Target. Hudson's Bay's SVP of Omni Customer Experience was quick to stress that they're going to fall into that latter category, saying, quote, Although it will very much be a vast assortment, it will feel curated. And he wasn't afraid to draw contrast and throw a bit of shade by saying, we're not going to approach it in the same way that Amazon or Walmart would, which is absolutely everything goes with little consideration other than having as many products as possible. Well, all right then, I guess we know where Hudson's Bay stands. As marketplace mayhem is unleashed, retailers are going to have to be really careful because with these marketplaces proliferating, eventually everybody's going to be selling the same categories and brands and no one's going to stand for anything. And then it's just going to be a race to the bottom on price. And if retailers keep crowbarring more brands and categories into their marketplaces, including their own brands, then it's going to be easy for brand marketers, those national brands, to just get lost in the shuffle and they're going to start making some new decisions in terms of this marketplace participation. Now, we talked about some of this backlash in our last episode about the curtailing of wholesaling, where brands like Nike and Under Armour are cutting back on wholesale relationships, and in the case of Nike, including partnerships with online marketplaces like Amazon. They're doing it because they want to wrestle back control of their brands. But as this marketplace mayhem heats up, more brands are going to get serious about owning their brand destiny, and more brands are going to back out of marketplace relationships. Just as many or even more are going to flee to marketplaces in order to make up for lost volume or just to scale up in the first place. Moving on to our next trajectory tracker. What's another power play that retailers have to offset this brewing sea of sameness, some of it brought on by marketplaces? We first talked about the private brand Palooza and the acceleration in private brand development and distribution in episode four, and it's absolutely on the ramp up. When Mark Tritton took over as CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond at the very end of 2019, after a stint as Target's chief merchandising officer, I predicted that private brands were going to blast off in Bed Bath & Beyond in about a year. After all, Target is a master of private and proprietary brand creation, and Mr. Tritton was majorly involved with all of that at Target. And right now, Bed Bath & Beyond could use some of that differentiated brand mojo. Well, here we are a little over a year later, fine wine takes time, and Bed Bath & Beyond just pulled the trigger on this private brand portfolio onslaught. 
Now at least eight new owned brands are going to launch this year, with six coming in the first six months of the fiscal year, including Nestwell in the sleep category, Haven and Bath, and Simply Essential, which looks to become sort of an open price point multi-category play. Over 1,000 SKUs are already in the hopper for that brand. Right now, private brands only represent about 10% of Bed Bath & Beyond's total assortment. But if everything goes according to plan with these brand launches, that's going to crank up to about 30%. Kohl's is joining the private brand Palooza party. They already have a highly developed private brand business, but now they're adding on a new athleisure brand called FLX or Flex at the end of this month. This new brand launch is going to allow Kohl's to go deeper into a COVID-friendly category that's dominated by national brands. Kohl's already sells some of those brands. But by adding a private brand, Kohl's can potentially wick off sales in this important category while Kohl's customers are shopping online or in Kohl's stores. It's a much purer and more credible play to create a new brand that addresses a hot category than it is to try to shift an existing brand into new territory. Plenty of brands and retailers have done that well, but others have learned the hard way that it's really hard to morph brands from dress up to casual on a dime or to stretch existing brands into completely new categories that aren't core to the brand. Now, as we talked about in the last episode, retailers that just have brands are at risk these days because brands are exercising their options to be in many places, including those proliferating marketplaces that we just talked about. Bed Bath & Beyond is a perfect example. They're going all in on private brands because they were just a place that had brands and it was killing their business. Bed Bath & Beyond has to give shoppers a reason to shop their stores, and private brands are going to become a powerful part of that reason. And if all goes according to plan, it's going to be complemented with store remodels that will showcase those brands in a much better setting. Private brands also plump up margins, of course, and it's not out of the question for brands to monetize their investments in their private brands by making them available outside of their borders. Now, there's precedent for this in retail. It's slowed down a little bit lately, but I think we're going to start to see a resurgence of retailers selling their private brands outside of their borders as they invest in building up their portfolios right now. But here, too, if things switch too far over to the private brand side, the market is going to be saturated with private brands. Amazon's already flooding its marketplaces with owned brands, and that's having a dilutive effect on the entire brand landscape. One of the concerns I had about JCPenney over the years, it wasn't just that it operates in that scary middle of retail that's been vulnerable for a while, but that it was crowbarring so many brands into its stores. So you would see JCPenney announcing a big lifestyle brand launch only to see more and more brands coming behind it. So you get to the point of diminishing returns when brands can't be properly merchandised or when they start to lose impact because they're just crammed in there with so many others. So brand marketers, you need to start thinking about these shifts and retailers' brand profiles and make your distribution choices accordingly. Retailers are going to need to continually evaluate the productivity of their in-store and online portfolios and look at the role that private brands play in both environments. And of course, continue to watch the competition as all of these other retailers and marketplaces create their own brands. So you can see that Marketplace Mayhem and the private brand Palooza are tied together. Marketplaces are driving the proliferation of private brands and also the watering down of national brands all at the same time. That's definitely part of the mayhem. So I'll wrap up with one of my most long-standing trajectories that just continues to thrive and mutate. I call it the rise of the RTR, retailer-to-retailer partnerships and all of their different forms. 
and also, increasingly, the rise of the ETR, where these digitally native e-commerce brands are hooking up with brick-and-mortar retailers in order to build scale and awareness. When you think about it, these ETRs and RTRs are just another version of this brand proliferation movement that we've been talking about. But this time, the retailers are the brands, and they're attaching to other retailers' platforms in order to drive awareness and, of course, sales. Now, right now, we're seeing even more RTR and ETR shifts and launches, particularly when it comes to shopping shops. Going back to JCPenney, as their future becomes uncertain, Sephora pulled the plug on that groundbreaking partnership with JCPenney and decided to hook up with Kohl's. Apple is opening up many shops within Target, even as it announces the reopening of its namesake stores, many of which it shuttered as the pandemic hit its peak. And Nordstrom isn't just testing out a concession model with select brand partners and shifting away from wholesale relationships in some cases. As we talked about in the last episode, Nordstrom is simultaneously opening shops with Tonal, which is a buzzy online fitness company. So there's a lot to unpack here because just painting these stories with the broad brush and saying, well, shop and shops are on the grow, really doesn't tell the full story. That Sephora partnership with JCPenney really speaks to the need for outsourced expertise. JCPenney was super smart to forge that partnership originally because it was an acknowledgement that, first of all, beauty is a very important traffic driving category that complements JCPenney's traditional strength and soft lines, and it's not a category that's in JCPenney's wheelhouse. So I say good for JCPenney for knowing that, but of course it wasn't enough to pull pennies out of some of their other problems. So Kohl's isn't getting sloppy seconds by giving a new home to Sephora. They're plugging in a proven model with a brand that worked out all those RTR bugs in advance with JCPenney. Practically overnight, Kohl's will become a force in beauty, and Sephora is going to keep on forging those relationships with middle market customers that may not visit their stores right now. Apple's partnership with Target on the surface seems pretty fresh. That's only if you don't follow retail history. Because back in 2012, it was big news when Apple opened up shops in Walmart stores. This may have been a case of always right sometimes early, because I'm sure that the Target shops are going to be much more sophisticated than the ones that were in Walmart, if for no other reason than a few years or a lifetime in retail. So I think they're going to pull out all the bells and whistles with this partnership in Target stores. Either way, Target's really smart to augment its core brands and core strengths, including all of its newly revamped private brands, with higher-end options and categories that just aren't Target's core strength. Categories like consumer electronics, just as it did when it partnered with CVS for pharmacy, another important category that Target couldn't build from the ground up. But with Apple, Target is able to tell an aspirational story in consumer electronics, and that's going to make all kinds of sense for its customers. Apple gets to make up for some of those lost sales that it experienced when it did close a lot of its branded stores due to the pandemic. The Nordstrom ETR with Tonal is actually similar to the Apple and Target deal because essentially Nordstrom is bringing a high-end consumer electronics brand, but this time they're tapping into the connected fitness craze, and Nordstrom, of course, is not known for things like fitness equipment. Tonal is going to benefit from getting more eyeballs on their products, driving awareness for the brand, and Nordstrom's going to get an interactive category expansion opportunity that's also going to bring a little experiential life to its already really nice-to-shop stores. And I think they're going to benefit from that update. 
RTRs and ETRs are definitely going to keep on coming, and particularly ETRs. As more retailers pare down their store fleets, it's going to leave room for digitally native brands to hang a shingle. And in a lot of cases, it's going to be much easier to just hang that shingle in somebody else's stores rather than build them from the ground up. So there's a lot of room for these types of partnerships, and smart retailers are going to make a big bet or two, like the Sephora and Apple deals. Then they're going to flex in and out of temporary relationships that spice things up, like Nordstrom's hookup with Tonal. I just don't see the same danger with RTRs and ETRs that I do with Marketplace Mayhem and the private brand Palooza. Who knew that online marketplaces, private brands, and retailer partnerships were all intertwined? Well, now you do. All three are driving the brand proliferation and brand ubiquity movement that's motoring on in retail right now. If you want to learn more about my latest retail trajectories, my presentations, platform positioning workshops and trainings, or if you're building out content for upcoming thought leadership events, you can ping me directly at carol at speakermanretail.com. You can also check my schedule on my site under speaking at speakermanretail.com. Thank you for listening in today. I'll see you next time and happy selling.